Episode 8 of the Trail Mix Podcast features Harrison Klopp. Most of the time when I record podcasts, I take almost a page of notes on my guest and topics I want to discuss. With Harrison, I wrote down three things on a sheet of paper and hit record. What you're about to listen to is one of the easiest, free-flowing, and widest-ranging pods I've released on Trail Mix. So here is Episode 8 of the Trail Mix Podcast with Harrison Klopp. Harrison Klopp, one of my favorite people at Cronkite at Arizona State. I reached out to you about a week ago. I didn't reach out to you. I put on my story because I'll tell you the story. So I was watching a video where they ranked the best six James Bonds of all time. Okay. And I thought to myself, I, I've definitely been into Bond. But I want to meet somebody. I want to interface with someone who knows Bond a little better than B, because I want to ask kind of how they view the character as well. So I put on my story, who knows James Bond or who can get me in contact with James Bond. One of our best friends, Trevor Leaf, reaches out to me and goes, Harrison Klopp. And I go, of course. This is the perfect man to know James Bond. So what? tell me... What was the first Bond film that you watched? So, I actually, uh, before I get into that, I, I'm, you gave me a story. I'm going to take your story and okay. raise you a story. So, you texted me, and I, and I flew back to Minnesota, you know, to see my family this weekend. Um, but you texted me, I think it was Sunday night, maybe? Mm-hmm. And um, I get a text, hey, I, I hear you're like a huge James Bond fan. And while you were texting me, I was watching Quantum of Solace. Oh I my swear God. to God. And um, that's like my, out of the Craig Bond movies, that's my least favorite one. Um, I'm actually watching Spectre. I'm planning to watch it uh, this week. But I, I, every year I watch all the Craig ones. Because um, he kind of is my Bond. But how I got into James Bond, that's a good question. Um, my, da- my dad's not the biggest movie guy. Okay. My dad's not the biggest movie guy. But um, loves James Bond. And he's like... You ever seen like those uh those movie uh, disc collections where they've got like all of them like the huge bundle you can yeah, buy? Yeah, the big box set. So we have the box set of all I want to say it's like twenty eight James Bond movies. So we have every single one. Um, so my dad loves James Bond, loves Sean Connery. He was devastated to hear the news um, this past week, but uh, yeah, we just watched. We st- I grew up on the the Connery Bond. So um, you know, Thunderball, Doctor No, The Man with the Golden Gun, Goldfinger. A uh, Goldfinger, obviously, it's probably like my one of my favorites. But all of those, um, and I was just obsessed with the character. I mean, the guy's such such a cool guy. You know what I mean? He's the cool. He's the quintessential definition of cool. Oh, he's so cool. I mean, he's he's wearing the the coolest suit. I I love the fashion. Like I'm I, I'm kind of like a. I love the Aston Martin look. I love the, you know, going to the casino look. Um, and then he's also, you know, shooting dudes. Like, he's, he's getting bad guys. Yeah. And he's, he's doing, looking unbelievable doing it. It's, what, what more can you ask for? Like, what more do you want from a guy? He's given you everything in his life done to perfection. And I love that. I, I've always been like, this guy is the perfect man. Like, he is, you know... He's the, he's the limit. Like, as, as good as I will be, I'll always be a little bit below James Bond. He's what I'm, you know, striving for. <laughs> he's what you describe as a man's man. When you think about what men aspire to be, they aspire to wear the nicest suits, drive the nicest car, date the most beautiful women. 
Yeah. That is James Bond. He does Bond. all of it. He it encapsulates all of it. You know, can speak like seven languages. Yeah. Um, can drive an Aston Martin as well as I bet any professional driver in the world is just, he's a renaissance man. I mean, that's like the thing that I've always been obsessed with is our guys too. Like I, I love Joe Rogan because Joe Rogan can do a billion things. Like Joe Rogan, UFC commentator. He um, has a, the number one podcast in the world, stand-up comedian. A guy can do amazing, like a, a million things incredibly well. Like I've always been like, that's what, life's all about like you could do a whole bunch of things really well you're an interesting person like and james bond is that like he is that guy I, i'm curious what, what do you think you're, you you're a big james bond fan too i enjoy james bond you watch your favorite movie when i so i'll give you the story of how i got okay I'm, I'm actually dying to hear this so i was nine years old and my father is actually opposite of your dad really big into film okay and he made sure that i got a quality education in film Growing up. So when I was nine, I'll, I'll never forget, he started showing me movies that he grew up on. Movies in the 70s, movies in the 80s. And a lot of them, that was the peak of the Roger Moore era oh. of Bond. Just the most campy, suave Bond. Not really punching people. Not really, he's not as grimy as the Craig Bonds. Not as grimy as the Timothy Dalton Bonds. Just very, very rarely you're going to see blood in a Roger Moore Bond film. And for a nine-year-old, that was very digestible so i sat there and i'll never forget i had a cold you know i i seem like i always get like that february cold and i was just knocked out one weekend and i just started on bond and i went about 20 movies deep that weekend from friday morning i skipped school because i was sick to sunday evening i was just going back to back to back to back and it was incredible. It was definitely uh, one of the top weekends of my life. I'm jealous. I'm actually jealous hearing that. Like, that's one thing I, right now is, uh, you know, a kid in college that I really miss about being like a younger kid. It's like, you know, you're, you're sick and you can just watch movies all day. Like, I, I remember like I, when I was sick growing up, like, oh, here's a, a Lord of the Rings marathon's about to begin. Like, yeah. I love that. I love that story. That's a good one. And so my favorite Bond, I've seen all of the Craig Bonds. And I think that why I like the Craig Bonds better than any of the previous Bonds is because the true, I think what the Bond character, what it's allowed the franchise to exist for 60 years has been that it always evolves with the times. And so I identify with the Craig Bond more because that's more of a 21st century James Bond than a Connery Bond. Or I, I like the Brosnan films as well. There was uh, the one... In 2002, I'm forgetting the title, but it's with Halle Berry. Yeah, yeah, that's what that's. I is that? Do you like that one? I like that one. Yeah. I okay. That, that one's a little. I know that one's like a little bit like, eh, like people hit or miss on that one. Like yeah. Some people really like it. Some people don't. There was the one that Brosnan was in in '95, and it's really interesting because the way my brain works is I remember years instead of titles. So when I associate movies, I associate it with the year that it came out. What I would. I want to. I'm curious. I'm the one sure I really like before Goldeneye. That was the one I love. Yeah, um, that one was fantastic. That I mean, like that helped reboot the franchise. That yeah. was. In, that's one of the best ones I've ever seen. Um, I think if I had to pick a favorite one, I mean, the Craig Bonds. I, for the same reasons you like the Craig Bonds, I like the Craig Bonds because like I, I've grown up in the 21st century. Like that's right. Like the life I know, I kind of like the thought of that too. Like that's why I really like the Dark Knight movies as opposed yes. to. The older uh, Batman movies, which right. my dad likes the older Batman movies. I like the Dark Knight trilogy the best because um, that's what I grew up with. But uh, my favorite one, I mean, the thing what's so interesting about the Craig Bonds is like 
he's made four so far. I mean, we still have the fifth one. Um, that's going to come out, I think, April 21. Um, but the first one and the third one, uh, Casino Royale and Skyfall, yeah. are as good as you can get. Um, and I've actually been, like, tussling over this the past week. I'm like, which one do I like more? Because that, that's the one. That's the question. Because, like... Quantum Solace is okay. Like Quantum Solace, like the villain Dominic Green, like guy's like eco planet. Uh, he's like okay, this is you know it's still good. Like there's still scenes in that movie that I'm like wow, this is sweet. Spectre, I thought the writing of the script of Spectre should have been a little bit better. Like you have Christoph Waltz, who's like one of my favorite actors. Like, yes. You, you, have you seen Glorious Bastards? I have. One of I my all time. Love that. Movies. I love him in Django too. I mean, I think he won like best supporting actor in Django. And um, and Glorious Bastards. Um, but so I was when I heard he was playing Blowfield, I was like, oh my god, this yes. is going to be nuts. And and the thing is with Spectre too, it's like okay, the car chase is really sweet. There's some the, some of the skiing shots, unbelievable. Yeah. But like the storyline and the cinematography too, that, which has gotten so great now with movies, which I love. Um, Casino Royale, oh, so good. Um, but Skyfall, I think Skyfall might be the one I really like more because I mean I. I'm a big fan of the song aspect. I think Skyfall by Adele, that's the best James Bond song, I think, yeah. ever. Um, Javier Bardem, the guy, I mean, such a good actor. Yeah. And the way he comes out, um, they, they're, they're in the island off of, uh, I want to say, China. And he comes in out of the elevator and gives this little monologue about how growing up on his grandpa, uh, grandmother's farm, about how trapping rats. And, yeah. um, you know, you, you want to get all the rats in a hole and they'll eat each other. And what do you do with the final rats? You just let them out on the island because now they only eat rats. Like, and I, he kind of gave the, uh, the symbolism for him and Bond. They're like the last two rats standing up. Chills every time. Yeah. I mean, I can see that movie a billion times. Um, yeah, no, those, those movies, uh, as I think if it may not be my favorite movies of all time. Definitely, definitely top ten. I mean, both of those top ten movies for yeah. sure. And I'm like, I'm, I, unlike my dad, really into movies. Um, but the thing with those movies, I don't know if there's any more timeless movies than those. Like I can see those every single time and I'll never get old. They're always good. Yeah. And what's interesting about the Bond franchise is that it's the same formula. You know what you're going in and what you're getting, but you come out enjoying the formula more and more each time. And it's because the formula works. They bring in a superstar to sing the theme. For example, one of the great... Wing songs with Paul McCartney and the Wings was "Live and Let Die." Oh, which great! That's an all-time which connects Bond up song. to a great Bond movie with Roger Moore. And I think about Skyfall with Adele the same way. And you go in, and each single aspect of the Bond movie, each one is new in its own way because you get a new song, and it's a top artist at the time. So you go into the theaters, you sit down, you think, "Who's singing this song?" or these days with the internet, we know. But if you imagine, if you put yourself in the 60s and the 70s, and you think, wow, you could sit down and hear Paul McCartney, who was a superstar at the time, just came off his run with the Beatles, is now on a successful run with the Wings. It's the same thing. You get to see who the Bond girl is. Yeah. You get to see the different gadgets. You get to see the car. And one thing that Bond does really well, he's a renaissance man, but the way that they structure the films is there's something in there for everybody, whether you're into tech. There's always a new gadget, whether you're into cars with the Aston Martin, whether you're into fashion, whether you're into women, whether you're into the action aspect of it. They have something in it for everybody. 
That's actually a really interesting point. That it actually, you know, I've never thought about Bond like that. But when it, when you, it comes out of your mouth, like it does, you know, you're right. You're right. I've, I'm learning. If there's one thing I've learned so far being on this podcast, it's that. Yeah, that's a really good point. When was the moment when you saw your first Bond movie in theater? Was it Casino Royale? So Casino Royale, 2006. Um, so I would have been, Probably I would have been seven, and like my parents. The first PG-13 movie I ever saw was The Dark Knight in 2008. Wow. In theaters. In theaters. I mean, like, obviously, you know, behind the scenes, you watch, you watch stuff with your parents, but they would not let me go to, to theaters to see a PG-13 movie. I remember that was a huge deal in the clubhouse. Right. <laughs> um, but uh, let me see. I don't think I saw Quantum of Solace in theaters. I definitely remember seeing Skyfall. I the, saw Skyfall. The day well. it came out. Yeah. Um, and that was 2012. So, I mean, I was... 12, 13 years old. But yeah, that was the first one. And I saw it, I remember the day it came out. I had to be there opening night. And it was, uh, I, I, I remember the theater it, it, night I'll never forget. It's one of the few movies that I've seen and I'll never forget going to the theater and actually seeing it. I think what Bond does really well is they bring a different villain in each time. And for that movie, Skyfall, it was Ray Fiennes. And Ray Fiennes is one of my favorite actors because in the Harry Potter series, he played Voldemort. And so he came off a really incredible run in the Harry Potter series, and he ends up in Skyfall. And I remember that entire movie had such had such a dark tone to it. The entire Craig run has had so much of a more gritty tone than even in one's past. Brosnan was a little more gritty, but he was very buttoned up. He was uh, the hair. <laughs> the hair was always there was always a blow dryer very close to Bond at that time. But the Craig Bonds is that's why I've identified with those. Yeah, no, that's that's a good point. It really, yeah. Um, are you are you a Skyfall guy or are you a Casino Royale? Because I know that both there's kind of, they're different parties. Like, yeah, it, it almost divides up the fan base. It really does. That uh, you have to go Casino Royale or Skyfall. Personally, I like Casino Royale because that one is the most true to the novels and most true to the character that Ian Fleming had written out in the script. Or in, in his novels. And that script stayed very true because Casino Royale was the first Ian Fleming novel that he had ever written. And so it was interesting that Bond, every time they bring in a new character, they try and re-energize the franchise by establishing a new identity. And Le Chief is like one of the, you know, he's a newer villain, but he's like one that I think a ton of people really oh, yeah. Are you a big Le Chief guy? I really enjoy Le Chief, yeah. I think the thing about Le Chief is like, He's like one of these villains that you're not like, he's not, you know, in a fortress in, you know, Antarctica somewhere. He's like uh, an accountant for the most dangerous people in the world. And it's like a different kind of villain, but he's still such a smart guy. He's still bad. Right. Um, and he's he's desperate, too. I mean, you, you meet Le Chief when he loses all that money shorting a, an airplane stock. Right. And he's got to win a hundred million plus at a, a poker table in Montenegro. Right. Like the, you meet him when he's like, you know, if I if I lose this, I'm down bad. Yeah, I'm out. <laughs> I'm the game's over. Yeah. Um. So I love that. Over. It's like you've got this desperation in this guy, and James Bond like has got to take everything away from him. I love that. Yeah, see, I, again, I'm probably a Skyfall guy. I can't, I can't even slight you in the slightest um, for saying that you're a Casino Royale guy. I, I respect that. Entirely. Have you seen all of the Bonds? Have you seen 
everyone from at some point in my life, Timothy yes. Dalton, yes. Roger Moore. Which one do you identify with the most? Um, that's a good question. Uh, identify with um the most. I still probably go Daniel Craig. Okay. I still probably go Daniel Craig. Um, I guess yeah. Um, I I think I can relate to him again, being a twenty first century guy. I think you know the way Sean Connery went about things and Pierce Brosnan. Um, I don't know if I relate to that, you know, lifestyle back then so much. So I think if I had to see myself in any of them, which I'd love to say I do see myself in any of them because they're all cool. Right. I guess it would be Daniel Craig because he's, you know, the newer guy. Is Skyfall your favorite Bond movie? See, I'm a huge Adele guy. I I really like Adele. Right. Love Adele. I mean, someone asked me the other week, was like, Harrison, if you could go to one live concert, in the world, I'd go Adele 10 out of times. I think she's a, okay. a once-in-a-generation talent. Like, right. she's our generation's Whitney Houston. Like, my parents sure. love Whitney Houston. There's like, oh, my God, Whitney Houston, best singer ever. Like, Adele's that, I think. She is easily one of the top three most powerful voices of and all time. And the cinematography, too. I mean, I'd taking um, Chinese growing up to see, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I'd, I'd hear, uh, I speak, you know, a, a little Mandarin. I, I probably should speak it better. I've uh, learned it for 10 years now. But, um... I went to, um, I've always wanted to go to Macau, which is like okay. the Las Vegas of China. Um, okay. And they go to, um, do you know the gambling scene where they, you know, they go to the, the Dragon Pit yes. in Skyfall? Yes. That's in Macau, and they've got those, you know, the casinos you pull up to on the, the little boats. Yes. To see that wow. part of China and the cinematography in Shanghai, when he's, you know, it's that swimming opening scene, and he's yep. like swimming on the top of the buildings. Um, I think they do China. China looks unbelievable. I've always wanted to go to China. Yeah. Um, and the scenes of Scotland, his home. Yes. R- unbelievable. Um, yeah, no, that's, I, yeah, I think for the cinematography, the storytelling, the music, Daniel Craig's performance, I, I would have to go with Skyfall. What is your favorite movie franchise? Because you're in the film. Is it Bond? Is it's, it something it's, else? So, film franchise, like, what would you define as a film franchise? I would define Star Wars as a film franchise. It has to be at least a trilogy. So, I would include Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight so, series. So, that probably So, Christopher has to be Nolan's one. Dark Knight franchise, that would be number one. Like, that would be number one. I, like, I've grown up on, you know, I have grown up on James Bond, but, like, I've, I've always loved Batman. Yeah. Always loved Batman. And Is he I, your favorite superhero? Oh, it's it's not even close. Um, like, listen, I love the Marvel movies, and I I meant like as a DC guy, like they've dominated. Yeah, I mean they've just come out with unbelievable movie. And the thing is, like, like Justice League is like visually pleasing. I don't know if you've seen Justice League. Yes, visually pleasing. The Marvel movies are visually pleasing, and they're unbelievably well done. Like yes. the storylines are unbelievable. Everything is perfection. Um. So it is kind of a bummer to see Marvel do like you know as well as they have when DC is just like what are they doing? I mean, Wonder Woman was really good, but I very much enjoyed. They've that missed Wonder on Woman. a lot of movies. Um, the Dark Knight, though, with Christopher Nolan, is one of the best directors I think you know ever. Yes. Um, every one of those movies is unbelievable, and I mean, the first PG thirteen movie too was the Dark Knight for me. Like I, yeah. I, I wasn't allowed to see the Dark Knight too violent, and I made a thirty three. I was thirty three point uh, thirty three page PowerPoint. Huh. And I convinced my parents 
on every, you know, every logical reason they could think of for me to not see the Dark Knight, for me to then, you know, be allowed to see the Dark Knight. I wanted to go that bad. So they were so inspired, you know, know, eight years old kid, I doubt how good this PowerPoint was. You made a 33-page PowerPoint at eight years old. I mean, again, you know, we were talking about this earlier, like, you're a young kid, you got a lot of time. (laughs) You got a lot of time. Um, So I was, I wanted to go so bad, and they were like, you know, our eight-year-old just made us a 33-point power page, like a PowerPoint slide. You know, let's let's let him go. And so they took me opening night, and um, I went, and I remember we sat in the middle of the theater of the Dark Knight, and unbelievable. Um, it's the best movie I've ever seen. Yeah. It, I love because, obviously, being a student of film, you know, we can understand this, but I love the feeling when I'm in the theater where I feel like I'm watching an instant classic because I love the stories that my dad tells me of when he was, uh, he was 20 when one of my all time favorite movies, back to the future came out. Oh, okay. And That's he good strolls movie. in and the, the craziest part is the eighties. My, my dad was 15 to 25. He says, that's the greatest era of your life. 15 to 25. Got to make everything happen in those 10 years. You'll have those 10 years of memories to carry you the rest of your life. And he was 15 in 1980, and he was 25 in 1990. So he, the best 10 years of his life was that 80s decade. And he tells me the story of how he goes to watch this uh, this movie that had just come out in 85, uh, the, the Breakfast Club. Oh, wow. Really? So He's go, spoiled. You go see The Breakfast Club, and you think about it, and you go, yeah, you know, there's that, uh, there's that Michael J. Fox movie. Uh, he was in Family Ties um, uh, coming out, you know. Bob Zemeckis and Steven Spielberg is on it. You know, I'll, I'll give it a shot. And it's, it's back to the future. You know, and you come out watching that movie and you go, wow, that was an incredible movie. And the fact that it's going to be 40, it's 35, it's going to be 40 in five years. You know, you saw Star Wars in theaters. And I think, I just, I'm so jealous. Is you know? it, that's actually a really interesting point. I'm like, which movies am I going to be able to tell my kids that I got to see in theaters? Exactly, because what movies from our era are going to be around when we have kids and we're raising them on the films that we grew up on. Jeez, that is what that what that is a great question. That is actually a really good question. What is um if you had to go favorite movie for you? If I had to go well like all-time favorite all-time movie favorite. or like movies that I would raise my children on. Oh, I'm actually curious to hear both now. Okay, so I would say my all-time favorite movie, the best movie ever made start to finish, you know, front cover to back cover is The Godfather. It's an epic. Yeah, it's a great movie. But it that is that is the Mid to late twentieth century's gone with the wind. It's an epic. You can't just sit down on a Friday night and just digest the Godfather. No, you cannot. Um, but movies that I can just hop into, like uh, I'll I'll put it this way: there are uh, there's many different types of video games. There's RPG. There's first person shooters. Uh, you have your story ones, which are like Red Dead Redemption, and then you have your Call of Duties that you can just hop in and play twenty minutes and then hop off and say you had a good time. That's a good analogy. Fall, okay, I love that on. analogy. So movies like that Call of Duty thread, uh, Forrest Gump, Back to the Future. Um, I would even put Cars in there because I Cars is so good. I love the film Cars, and that's one from the Pixar era that critics panned and adults did not understand, but kids that watched it because I was six years old, we were all six at the time that watched Cars. Everyone I talk to that's my age loves cars. And so those films are definitely going to be the ones that I show my kids uh, as soon as they're ready. 
uh, and obviously movies like Raiders of the Lost Ark and uh, coming out of those uh, trilogies, Star Wars. I honestly wasn't really that big of a Star Wars fan until I was about 12 or 13. There's so, you know, I could just go, go on. There's so many, but I love that feeling of just, you know, even the same thing as when uh, my grandparents saw, you know, Singing in the Rain or just movies that have just stood the test of time. And I think from our era, the defining movie of that 2000s era has to be The Dark Knight. Has to be The Dark Knight. I actually agree with that. I, I do. Um, I know IMBD, I said, I think it's the seventh best movie of all time. I and think. you think about it with, um, I, like, I apologize to cut you off, but the thing that I just hang on is that movies get better with age. Movies always get better with age. You know, the further distance we come from the release date up until now, they get cemented as these iconic movies. And The Dark Knight, if you think about it, is going to keep getting better with age because we just have such an affinity for that film. Yeah, that is... Um, I, I can't say enough amazing things about that movie. I love that movie more than... I, 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 I've met huge... I've, like, I've met people that I've been like, oh, that's my favorite movie too. And it's just an instant connection. I, like, I can't tell you how many people I've connected with in my life where I'm just like, hey, what's your know, favorite movie? Dark Knight. Oh, oh my God, me too. And we just talked about that hour. You, two hours. You know what's crazy about it is it's a superhero movie. It's supposed to be knocked off, pigeonholed into this corner of comic book readers and people that like superhero movies. And it is the one that has transcended that that genre. It is the one that is just... If you had to pick the best superhero movie, it's The Dark Knight, and it's really not a competition. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, when you're talking about the Marvel movies, do Marvel's had some that have been really, really good. Um, Iron Man 1, Fantastic. really good. Also and in 2008. 2008, yep, 2008, yep, you're right. Uh, Avengers, I think, went 2012, amazing. Um, Avengers 1, Avengers Endgame, amazing. Infinity War, great. Guardians of the Galaxy, Black Panther 2. Yes. Um, whoa, you know, really good. Yes. But it's just, you know, it's all of them, I think, are, in a way, looking up to The Dark Knight. And I think, you know, The Dark Knight Rises is, is good, too. I think it falls short by a little bit. Um, I've had a, a billion debates, which is better, The Dark Knight or The Dark Knight Rises. I think The Dark Knight Rises. I don't think that's a debate. Yeah. I think Tom Hardy as Bane, really good, but Heath Ledger as the Joker. I mean, that's the best villain ever. Ever. Yeah. Ever. Like, ever. Uh yeah, I think that movie's just got so many aspects, and you think from start to finish. I mean, the opening scene is the money heist in that movie, or the bank heist, um, when all the guys pick each other off. Yeah. Unbelievable scene. And then they finish with, you know, the Dark Knight, uh, or Batman, just riding out on his motorcycle, yeah. and he's now known for Harvey Dent's murder, which he exactly. didn't do. Um, it's what a story. I think what is truly amazing about that film is it's a superhero movie that is not afraid to be an anti-superhero movie. Because at the end of the film, nothing is resolved. Gotham is in chaos. Batman's on the run from the law. It, it, it doesn't have that stereotype. And that's the thing. The Marvel films, as great as they are, I can't think of a film outside of Infinity War, which is one half to a whole, that didn't have a happy ending of some kind. And I actually really like that. Like, I actually do like when you know we we talked to I guess mentioned Star Wars earlier like I the the prequels I'm 
oh, you know, okay on the prequels. The sure. one I actually really like is Revenge of the Sith because right. think about how it ends. It's like the Jedi are down. Like Batman, you know, I know he stopped the Joker, but like, did he really win? Like, right. not really. Um, you know, Batman begins. He d- defeats Ra's al Ghul. Yeah, defeats Scarecrow. Um, and D- the Dark Knight Rises, he defeats Bane, and he. I guess now he lives in Italy with Anne Hathaway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You're like, okay. Yeah, this guy just won. So uh, um, that one he didn't. And it was a different movie. Um, all throughout the movie is, is in, you can literally point to that Dark Knight movie and be like, oh, do you remember this scene? you remember this scene? Yeah. you remember this scene? Like, do you remember when he blows up the hospital? Do you remember when they, um, yeah, like the Joker crashes the dinner party? Um, the billion scenes. I want to let you tell this story because I'm sure you know it, but. There was a special effect mishap when the Joker blew up the hospital. You know the story that I'm talking about? I actually don't know this story. Well, then, then I'll tell you the story because this is one of my... I love behind-the-scenes stuff about movies. Another one is The Shawshank Redemption. Did you grow up on Spongebob? Um, kind of. Have I, you seen The Shawshank Redemption? I have seen The Shawshank Redemption. So you know the really movies. asshole prison guard? The yes. The one that's always beaten around yes. Andy Dufresne? This is really great stuff. He is Mr. Krabs. That is a mind-blowing... Isn't that mind-blowing? I'm mind-blown. I saw that. So AMC, every now and again, they'll put these like behind-the-scenes uh, or they'll put these little movie facts going on at the bottom while the movie's going on, and I eat that stuff up. Yeah, this is making me miss going to the movies, honestly. When, right I, love, like, when I love a movie, I need, I'm the type of person that like when I'm interested in something, I need to know everything about it. I need to know all the ins and outs. And so when I'm interested in a movie, I got to know the behind the scenes, the production. I like the that. cast. You know, I got to devour everything. And so, um, like that, for, for example, that one. Um, but the story about the Dark Knight that I love, this is, uh, as you know, Christopher Nolan is really big on practical effects. He hates using CGI. Christopher Nolan is the type of guy to buy a plane and blow it up in the sky. And have it actually, you know, the first scene in The Dark Knight Rises, that's, none of that was CGI. What a scene, too. What a scene, right? That was all filmed in real time. They split the plane in half. And it just incredible movie making. I've see, I actually have seen the behind the scenes on that. It and that one is incredible. Insane. I'd encourage anyone listening to look it up. This is why, and this is legitimately why Heath Ledger's performance as the Joker is the best in movie history. And it is cemented by this story. When the Joker blows up Gotham Hospital, they had bought a, an office complex. Christopher Nolan had gone and purchased. This man just loves to buy planes, real estate, just to blow them up. I, one of my all-time favorite directors. He buys this office building and turns it into Gotham City Hospital, right? Puts all the hospital signs up. And then they rig it to blow. And this is all going to happen in real time. They're going to get everybody out of the building... And they're basically going to do the city of New York a favor by blowing up this office building, which is going to later become condos or something. So what happens is the Joker walks outside the hospital, hits the button, and he's supposed to walk away, arms outstretched with this great, you know, Iron Man type scene where the hospital's blowing up behind him. But what happens is he hits the button and only about two out of the 50 charges in the building go off. And so you'll notice when you go back and see the film, and this I know exactly complete. what you're talking he about. He looks around and stays in character. He doesn't look back towards Christopher Nolan behind the camera. He just stays in character, which is genius. 
This is one of the greatest performances of all time for this reason. He stays in character because you only get one shot at blowing up this building. He looks around, still is still in character as a Joker, throws his hands up in the air as if to say, what the heck, my charges didn't go off, hits the button a few more times, and the fourth time he hits the button, the next 48 charges explode. Wow, I love that. And you'll notice on Heath Ledger's face, there is a moment of genuine surprise where that fourth time he hits the button and the entire building explodes. I he thought it was literally just planned like that. No, he looks at the camera and goes, oh my god, well, okay. And he jumps on the bus, stays in character, they cut to the next scene, which is the helicopter shot of the city. It's one of the all-time great movie stories. I love that. I love. I had no idea that that was that was true. Um, wow. Yeah. I. Wow. That's chills. And, and so somehow I've come here to your balcony and made one of your favorite movies even more, you know, even more interesting. No. Yeah. I, I love that movie. I'm a. I have from love, love, love the Dark Knight. Um, I actually, funny enough, I have uh, I have a list of. My my dream man cave. I I've, I've, I write everything down. So sure. I, like when you said um you know Iron Man two thousand eight like I knew that because I have my favorite movies of two thousand eight list. Yeah. Okay. Um like I, I write everything down and um I do have a list of my top my my dream man cave. I have thirty things I want. What's no, in there? Number one um is an autograph picture from and they, they have these I think very few now um autograph poster of the Dark Knight picture um with the whole cast of autographed it including wow. Heath Ledger wow I would love to have that um there's a whole bunch of cool stuff um I would like Black Panther or like a Black Panther mask I think would be really cool yeah. Game of Thrones uh the Iron Throne yeah is in there um I got some sports stuff like uh I'm a huge um I think the best sporting moment of all time is Miracle on Ice 1980 yep um and being from Minnesota too I mean like that that's that team like I, I know Really, like those guys, a lot of them live in Minnesota. Like, I, like um, Rob McClanahan, I used to go to, was a huge role in that. Like, I went to high school with his was, um, daughter. Um, was Urizioni the captain? Was he from Minnesota? No, he's a Massachusetts guy. He's from Boston. That's he's right. a Massachusetts guy. Um, but uh, yeah, no, that that team and that story, Herb Brooks, um, you know, legend. Right. Um, the, an autograph picture from that team. I'd love to have that. Uh, some boxing stuff, big boxing guy like a Muhammad Ali autograph, you know, gloves. I love, would love. Um, there's a whole bunch of stuff on there from movies, sports, just cool stuff. I'd love to have a hot tub in there. Oh yeah, yeah, big you, hot tub guy. Harrison Cloth has to have. A hot I, tub I, 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 I take that's my essentials. I think are hot tubs. I love living in a building too. Now we've got an outdoor hot tub. I tell my parents that, and they're living in freezing. Minneapolis, and I get to you know go outside and take a hot tub. I, I live really the life now. I do. <laughs> you, you've gone from Minnesota to Arizona, and you go from one of the coldest states in the Union to one of the warmest states in the Union. I want to ask, what brought you from Minnesota? You have the talent and the ability to go to any broadcasting school. So then why come to Cronkite? So the thing is, I never really thought I was going to do. I actually appreciate the, the little introduction there. <laughs> um, but uh, so originally I wasn't going to do, you know, sports um, broadcasting. Like really? That wasn't, that wasn't my, always my goal. Um, the thing is, I had always thought about it. See, my mom is um, on the news in Minnesota. She's got a radio show, you know, TV show. Um, she's I mean, right now with the election going on, wired, lives around that. Yeah. Um, so huge part of her life, loves, loves her job. 
Um, but 2008, they had a, this is actually a crazy story. I don't know how many people have told this. This is actually, you, know, you might like this. Um, so there was a sportscaster in Minnesota, legend, Mark Rosen. Okay. Huge, huge deal in Minnesota. Any, any, any you know, home would have him on talking sports. He, icon. Sure. And um, 2008, and this was when Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader was huge. Yes. So they wanted to do this, Are You Smarter Than, um, eight, you know, it was like a fifth grader. And I think I was like around fifth grade. So I was like, I think you are, are You Smarter Than a Third Grader? Because I think that's how old I was in 2008. Yeah, you were a third grader. Yeah, yeah. and so... Did, are you smarter than a third grader? Um, and I went up against Mark Rosen, and I picked March Madness in 2008. Okay. On TV. They had a huge show about it. Wow. And um, so I would, I, you know, in, in 2008, which was fascinating, I remember this like, you know, yesterday, no one seeds, you know, March Madness has never had a tournament where all four one seeds go to the final four. Never happened. And as a yeah, kid, yeah. I'm like, I kind of like, you know, the ones, the twos, the threes. You don't pick as many upsets when you're a young kid. Right. So I picked all one seeds. And it was like, you know, Memphis's um, Derrick Rose team, UNC, Tyler Hansbrough, Kansas. Hey, if I'm wrong, that's the Davidson-Steph Curry year too, right? Yes, yes, yes. I think you were all right about that. Um, and then who else? Uh, UCLA um, was really good that year. Um, so, yeah, all one seeds. And I got nailed it, and I looked like a genius. They're like... I'd go, right. I'd go to school the next day, and all the kids would watch it in my class. Like, oh, Harrison, you're so cool. Like, <laughs> you made it. You're just like, you're like, you know, showing off uh, Mark Rosen. Like, that bracket way better than this guy's. <laughs> I was like eight years old. Um, this guy's been you know, living around sports. And the, the thing is, picking sports, I can tell you this from now, you know, going to school for it, it's a real gamble. Like, you know, yeah. I, 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 trust me, I can tell you that. I'm, the last few games I've picked, I've done a terrible job. <laughs> um, like, people think, because, you know, you, you do this for, like, a living now. You go to school for it, like you have, you know, in some insider information on how the games. No, you don't. Like you, you just you know what you know, and you try to predict based off what you know. But you, most of the time, you know, you're totally off. Right. But you know, I this one year nailed it, and so I always loved sports since that, and I always considered it. But like you know, I was I was like okay, it wasn't practical. You know, maybe I, you know, none of my friends were doing it. Um, but then eleventh grade, I started a podcast, the Clap Show, um, and I just do it in the history wing of my school, and I really liked it. But when it time timed to um, apply for colleges my senior year, I wanted to go to the University of Minnesota Business School. Okay. And because, you know, I thought that was super fun school. My dad went to the University of Minnesota. Um, I got to stay in, you know, state. Um, I love Minnesota. But my, you know, my ACT was good. My grades, okay. So I had to go for a really, really high ACT. Sure. With, you know, kind of a, you know, B plus grade point average. Nowadays, it's so hard to get into these elite schools. Yeah. But, um, uh, I missed the, the, the deadline for the retake of the ACT. Wow. So, so I'm like, I, there's no way I'm getting in. I, I can't do business. Um, I really thought about it. I sat down. I'm like, which life do I want to live? Um, do I want to, you know, I could still probably transfer into the University of Minnesota, but still, that'd be a ton of work. Um, and it's like, I love sports. Um, you know, you only get to live one life. I might as well, you know, do something I love and just go all in for it. I mean, the thing about this, it's like it is, you know, you always know it is competitive. Like there's mm -hmm. only a certain amount of jobs and, you know, you're competing with that. Um, but I've loved it. And I took a chance and I gambled on myself. I originally wanted to go to Syracuse, waitlisted. Right. I applied to two schools here in Syracuse, waitlisted Syracuse, and I came here. And I've loved it ever since. Um, I, I, I've... I think matured so much as a person these past three years. Um, I came in as a freshman, just you know, having no idea what anything was. Um, really, I had no idea. Couldn't do my laundry. Um, can't cook. I still can't really cook. <laughs> but 
you know, I, I've, I've gotten better at so many things. So uh, it was an unbelievable decision. I love Arizona, too. That's a really interesting story because I didn't know that. I feel as someone that's been your friend for three years and has watched you not only as your friend, but from a distance just on Twitter, watch you come in as this kid that knew a lot about boxing and just had the genius idea to just start tweeting videos about boxing. And virtually overnight, as you told me, I think it was sophomore year, that you exploded on Twitter just by posting boxing videos, right? I had another one last night. Um, oh, I was, A million I saw, engagements, I saw which that was pretty one, yeah. cool. Um, yeah, the thing is, it's, it's, I, I, I'd love to commentate boxing and it's, I do, um, I do, I, I, I make little videos and talk boxing. Um, that's what I, I want my life to be, but it's cool when, you know, you're talking boxing and you're, you're a college student trying to make it and you've got a clip with a you know, viral knockout like I had with, you know, Javante Davis last night, um, on Halloween night in, in Texas that will bring a million people to your page and yeah. they'll be like, who's this kid? What's his boxing? And I've gotten a ton of connections from it. Right. I've gotten a lot of followers from it, um, but you really it's the connections and the people that are in the industry that you know you can reach out to later and you can ask for advice. And I've got, met so many people through that that um, I'm really glad I started doing it. And it's um, it's been a lot of fun too to see you know when you hit a viral tweet. But I think what's interesting is that I didn't know just from the story that you told me that coming here was really a gamble. You really didn't know until the last minute that this is kind of what you wanted. Well, to I do. think you have to. Yeah, I mean, it's such like it. it it's like, you know, being the toughest jobs to get into, I feel like are, if you can make it, the best jobs. Like business is fine, but because like everyone's going to be like, you know, a B plus level of happiness. I've always thought like B plus level and that's you know, good. You make it doing something like, you know, if you love sports, really, you know, in the entertainment industry, I guess, which we could say we're kind of trying to we make it. We are in the entertainment industry for sure. But it's like, you know, if you're a musician or an actor and you make it. There's not a life, you, and you love doing that, there's not a life you'd rather have. Right. Like, I love talking sports. I love boxing. Um, and if, you know, if, if it does come the day where, you know, I can sign a contract with a, a major, major network, and I'm sure you feel the same way. Right. Where it's like, I, my life's, you know, amazing. Like, honestly, it, like, that's, and again, I, like. I, I go to school and I have like homework and I do all these extracurricular things, but like too, doing something you love, like I, I feel like I really don't even go to school in a way. Like yeah. as strange as that seems, but like I do cool things like homework for me, you know, making a reporting package or something like that. It's not like a burden. Like I enjoy doing that. Right. Um, and I, like that's, that's I think one thing when I, when I took this gamble to come here, I was like, I've really centered around my life around things that, you know, Aren't, aren't things that, you know, so I think so many people, you know, center their life around things that they're expected to do. It's like, oh, my parents expect me to do this or, you know, society expects me to uh, um, get a job, move here, do, have this as my degree. Like, I do things I want to do and like to do. Right. And I've lived a way happier life, especially because, you know, my first 18 years, you know, going to high school and middle school, lower school, they're very structured. You yeah. have to do what other people want. Like I, I get to do what I want, but you know I'm not like slacking off. I'm also doing stuff productive, like productively. Um, it's unbelievable. Like I love doing what I want to do. That's point blank. Period. Harrison Clapp. What does he like to do? You know things that he does like to do. I do. <laughs> I do things. I do. I do probably a terrible quote. I like to do things that I want to do. Oh man, you need to put that right behind your um, 
you have a, a background that says Harrison Klopp. I need a little addition to it. <laughs> what does Harrison Klopp like to do? Things that he likes to do. Yes, that is that is actually yeah. That's that's my mantra. I love that's that. your brand. That's I, that's a good brand. That's, I, that's I, why that's I think it's worse brands. <laughs> it's very have. good. Exactly. What was the moment when you came to ASU where you? There's always a moment. I think even if you are dead certain on coming to Arizona State that, you know, your parents came to Arizona State, your grandparents, like, your grandparent, your great-grandparents could have founded Arizona State. Everybody that comes to college, it's the first real big decision that you face in your life that is solely on your shoulders. Yeah. And there's some doubts. I mean, I know there's some doubts for me. There's, it's just, it's natural. It's human nature to just kind of wonder out of all the colleges you could have gone to. You go to Arizona State. You go to Arizona State, you're like, did I make the right decision? What was the moment for you where you could have followed in your father's footsteps and gone to Minnesota, been a part of the business school, kind of stayed in Minnesota, been a local your whole life? You decide to leave Minnesota, come to Arizona State. What was the moment where you decided, you know, this Did was you, the right decision? Where I was like, this is the right decision. Yeah. Um, hmm. That's a really good question. Um, the right decision, um, you know... When I started here my freshman year, I got a lot of help for Blaze, and I was fortunate to get a lot of reps doing stuff I like to do. I like to talk about sports, really, you know, boxing sports. Um, and I just got a lot of opportunities right away. I remember they had this uh, bottom of the six tryout right. with, you know, all the you know, 100 kids try out and 12 get it, and I was able to get it. Yeah. First few the, weeks. I was the 88. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, again, I think we'll come back three years later laugh about how – ridiculous that right, exactly. bottom of the sixes. Exactly. But I, I was able to get that and you know I felt on top of the world. And it was looking back again, it's ridiculous. It's you're yeah. on a, a thirty minute talk show, six six o'clock at Phoenix with no listeners, and um <laughs> you talk, you know, three different things. MLB, football, basketball, thirty minutes and you're you're there this week and you're there the next week. Right. But you know, I got that and I was like, oh my God, wow, wow, this is all that and um I was just so motivated. I, I just always wanted to learn sports. But when I got that, I'm like, oh, wow, this is, you know, I might have a future doing this. And I've been fortunate, too, when, you know, someone, someone that you hang out with and you're a teacher will pay you a really big compliment. And I remember I got some just amazing compliments. I've had some amazing teachers here. They've been like, wow, like, you know, you're, you're a new kid. What you want to do is not what most kids want to do. Um, like, I really, you know, you could push yourself. You could have a future. And, like, getting advice like that down the road is meant. I can't even, if anyone listening to this has given me some advice, there's been a ton of people that have helped me out. Um, you know, my mom too, like she's in the industry um, and to her to see something and I know when she's lying to me. Like my first radio show, she's, she's you know, honestly, like wasn't great. <laughs> like She's like, you know, I love you. I love you. But you, you got to you work on this. You got to work on that. Right. Wasn't great. <laughs> like she's not the type of mom that would like, just because you, she's your mom, she'll tell you she loves you. Yeah. You got to perform. Like, yeah. she's, um, <laughs> she's, like, we had, I remember, like, third grade, I, we, we'd come back. Our homework was, like, to get, like, um, feedback from our parents. And I'd have my mom do it. And um, she's like, you know, what is he doing well? Um, you know, he's done, you know, he exercises. He likes, you know, he exercises a lot. And it's just like, what is he doing well as an eight-year-old kid? Yeah. And my mom's like, what does he need to improve on? A billion things. Yeah. And my mom's, you know, she went to she's went to Harvard. She's really tough. Wow. Um, but when she was like, yeah, you, this is really good. 
And um, I sent her some clip or an interview. I'm just like, this is really good. Like, I'm really proud of you. Um, that's meant more than I think she'll ever realize. Um, but yeah, to hear that and hear support from people that I like, it's that's kept me in it. And that's when I realized that Arizona State was right for me. What was the first one that you sent to your mom that she came back to you and said, I'm really proud of you? And a lot of that has to do with, I qualified that by your mom, as you mentioned, she isn't just your mom. She's in the industry. She has experience. She knows when she sees someone who's good at their craft and who needs work. Um, so my freshman year, I think I, this was the later in the freshman, my freshman year, I, um, I got access to cover for an ESPN boxing affiliate in Phoenix and I got to cover the sport and they let me into the locker rooms. And, you know, I was really just starting out. Like I ruined, you know, freshman year, I didn't really know what I was doing, still getting into things. And they put me in a locker room and I got a, a team of guys, uh, like guys that are, you know, a lot of these guys too from fighting in Phoenix come from Mexico especially Tijuana, and they'll look at this kid with a polo shirt on interviewing their fighter, like, what the hell is this kid doing here? (laughs) You know, Nick, my roommate, would film me, and, like, again, it was was nerve-wracking interviewing some of these, you know, five, you know, some of these heavyweight guys, too, and, you know, they've got translators. Um, That's nerve-wracking, and everyone's on you, and you you mess up, you mess up. You can't double-take when you're in a locker room. And a whole bunch of guys, you know, this guy just got done knocking somebody out and he's talking to you three minutes after it happened. Right. So when I did that and I, you know, I like, I think I did it, you know, I I was well adapted to the moment, like the first few I messed up. But when I got doing it all night, um, I got better and I sent her some of the later ones. She's like, wow, this is really good. Like you're really composed. Um, I, 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 when I was in college, I was never this composed. So um, getting that was... Um, that meant uh, everything. So, yeah, to get that note back was great. What is the thing about Minnesota that you miss the most? Miss the most? Um, uh, that's a good question. Um, miss the most? I love the people in Minnesota. Yeah. Um, I love the – I went to a small high school, so I've known, you know, the same hundred kids my entire life. Okay. So, like, when I meet someone, like, I, 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 I'm, I'm – you know, you are the trail mix guy. I, I, I'd like to say I'm not maybe not the trail mix guy where I get along with you know everybody. Yeah. That's kind of yours to sell, right? Yeah, it's like my, I can that's I my brand. put put anybody in front of me. You know, the trail mix guy. He's gonna he's gonna talk them down. <laughs> We're gonna have some similarities. And again, you know, you you're making me feel naturally right now. So that's yeah. I tip of the cap. I, I can tell I that's that every trail mix episode. You, you can you're kind of like a chameleon. You can mold to what you want to. Yeah. Um. Uh. But what I miss about Minnesota, yeah, I love the people. Um, love the people. Um, I love the weather, actually, surprisingly. Um, I do. I love, uh, like, we live close to a lake. We now live on a lake. We just moved. But, um, you know, you can go out in the winter. Does it freeze over in the winter? Yeah, Saturday. Oh, sa- Saturday mornings, you, you know, walk 10, 10 minutes, and you're playing pond hockey with your, your best friends on a lake and um that's unbelievable um the forests are insane um going there's lakes everywhere you know the weekends you go to cabin weekends and it's nothing like i have friends that have cabins that are two hours away because there's i mean it's a land of ten thousand lakes it's more like twenty thousand right um yeah there's just so much to do where i feel like in arizona like you know there's a few things you can really do. Like we're, Minnesota, we're on the there's same page about a Arizona. bazillion things you can do, and I love that as someone that's always wanted to explore. Um, yeah, there's just a million things to do. I think that whenever I run into people, I was at a Halloween party last night where I ran into two people that 
uh, they didn't even need to tell me where they were from, and I knew they were from California. People from California, because I'm from the Bay Area, people from California and I just get along on a certain wavelength that me and people from different parts of the country, different parts of the world just don't. It has something to do with where you grew up and the time that you spent there and the shared experiences that you don't even need to know that you've had those experiences. You interface with someone for a few minutes and you just know. Do you feel that way about people that you meet from Minnesota? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think the people I've seen today, um, Trevor Leaf um, from Minnesota, we, we, again, we ne- you didn't know each other before. 20 minutes away. I never met him. And it, uh, we came, took us a, moving a few thousand miles to meet, um, but great guy. Griffin Peters, I mean, actually, technically not. He's a Vikings fan, but <laughs> he's not from Minnesota. But again, like, I do feel like I have that wavelength. When I meet someone from Minnesota, like, it's, you know, oh, you, you know, you played hockey. Wow. Like, yeah. um, you, you like skiing, you like, you know, snowmobiling. Oh, wow. Like, I mean, that's, I, there's just so much to relate to. And I feel like, you know, to going all over Minnesota, especially in the summertime, going to cabins um, of my friends for the past, you know, a bajillion years. It's like, I know really every town. So if someone's from a town, like, right. I met, I met this girl, actually, funny enough, I was walking to Cronkite. This had to be the first few weeks, too. And she had a Minnesota shirt on. I'm like, oh, Minnesota, you know, me too. And she's like, oh, yeah, but I bet you don't know where I'm from. I'm like, really? Go try me. Um, she's from International Falls. Okay. And that's a town on the border of Canada and Minnesota. Wow. Population 2,000, but they've got a good hockey team. And yeah. I knew exactly where it was. So, yeah, I, I, again, I think Minnesota is a really tight-knit community. So I think a lot of people know uh, they're on that, that California wavelength, for sure. Oh, without a doubt. And the same thing is, you know, I see it with my mom, who's from Michigan. And, you know, that's why I'm such a big Michigan football fan. Um, you know, when she runs into people from the Midwest, there's just a certain way that people from the Midwest kind of interact. There's certain ways that people from the Southeast interact. Uh, our friend Miller McKaney, Fernando Tatis Jr. Oh, yeah. Uh, when he sees people from Texas. And it's been interesting because I've lived with Miller uh, past two years. I don't live with him anymore, but I still count him as one of my very best friends. It's interesting to see how Miller kind of interacts with you and I and people from Texas. It's it's the That's same. interesting, this, yeah. And it's something where, uh, now that I've probably planted that seed in your mind, you'll notice it more, but it, it's always been really fascinating to me. And that's why I love asking people about where they grew up because there's been nights where I've been driving around Phoenix and I love late night car rides. That is my top tier thing. You put some music on? Yeah. What, what music? Well, it all depends. I mean, what, let me think about what I was listening. What's like the to go-to? You know, gun to your head. You got to play one. You know, uh, oh man, playlist of music to, for Jack Johnson's late night car rides. What are we going with? Late night car rides. I would say I, I'm really into. I, I mean, it, that's a that's a tough. That is a tough, a tough question. question. You seem really like a guy that's got question. a lot of genres. You got I a lot think, of artists. I think I, I hate to cop out and rely on the Trail Mix brand. Clop, but uh, it really all depends on kind of how I'm feeling. Um, if I'm fe- there's nights I could listen to country music. There's nights I could listen to kind of lo-fi hip hop. There's nights I could listen to like really Compton rap. There's nights I could listen to my uh, my mid two thousands nostalgia vibes. Uh, I can listen to early nineties hip hop, late nineties hip hop. Uh, but the one that I grew up on and the one that I will always go back to is music from the 1970s and the 1980s. Love it. Uh, 
And it's a lot of it's because it, my dad just had such a great time in that era that I think he was so excited to share it with me when he had a kid. Uh, and I'm his firstborn. So a lot of the stuff that he was so excited to share with his children growing up is the stuff that he kind of imparted onto me a lot. Not as much my younger sister, but onto me. And it's the music, it's the movies, it's the total vibes of that era. And uh, stuff like the Eagles. Um, the Eagles are one oh, of my great, all-time, great all-time favorite bands. I can listen to the Eagles anytime, anywhere. Um, yeah, there's so many from, from that era, the 70s and the 80s. I like listening to Tom Petty. Oh, um, I was just actually listening to um, Tom Petty today. You know, won't back down, American, American Girl. American Girl. Exactly. And Breakdown. Exactly. And just there's so many things that uh you know, I drive around with my friends and that's the thing is I, I like to pride myself on the ability to kind of just mold myself to any situation. So if people want to listen to a certain type of music, I wanna be able to feel like I can kind of vibe on that on that level. I like them. that. Okay. I, I I I respect that. I respect that. What is it for you though? It has to be, and I, I want to ask you about this, so this is actually the perfect transition. You, you have the legendary study playlist with Trevor Leaf. No one else out there on the, on the Trail Mix network kind of knows about it, so I, I want you to kind of intro what it is. So, I guess the study playlist is like when I when I grew up. Um, actually, no, when I grew up, when I was in high school, I'd go to a coffee shop right by my house. Okay. And there's a certain type of genre of music that plays at coffee houses. Yes. Yes. It's kind of like you know you'll hear Jason Mraz like "I'm Yours" or like some Ed Sheeran you know, soothing. Yeah. Music, you know, some One Republic. Maybe some older Maroon Five, some Jack Johnson. Yeah, oh, Jack Johnson. Yeah, you know, you you get the point. Okay, exactly. you do. Um, so I always loved going to that coffee house. You know, the great smoothies, really, you know, great food. But the music was always great. I'm like, well, let me just bring that coffee house vibe to my own house. Yeah. So I sat down. and I'm like, I've always kind of gravitated towards that music because there's something about that type of music where it's like. One Republic, Maroon 5, um, Coldplay, yes. huge Coldplay fan, that I can always be like, listen to that and think about my life. Like, there's not, this type of music I think everybody has where it's like, what type of music you have where you can really, you know, reminisce, think, um, and it's always been that type of music. Like, there's, you know, don't get me wrong, I'm kind of like you, I love you know, country, I love rap, huge Kanye West guy. Yes. But... You know, Coldplay, Maroon 5, Ed Sheeran, 
like they have something where I can just really sit and relax and get work done. And so I just built a playlist of like 600 songs just like that. And um, it's been, um, everyone that's listened to the study playlist, I will say this, um, has loved it. I'm a huge fan of the study there's playlist. Some, there's, some, there's a lot of huge fans. You know, we got musicals in there. We've got the Hamilton soundtrack, right. which I love. Um, we got a few other Broadway plays. Um, but uh, yeah, just music where you can just kind of sit, relax, and get work done. And I love that. And I think about it, and you think about it on a, on a macro level. You think, why does music like that play in coffee houses? And it has to do a lot with that type of music is food for thought. When you listen to music like that, you go to a, a certain place in your mind where you're very cerebral. And that's why people go to coffee houses to get homework done, to study, to write their first script. It's because that music kind of puts you in that sort of really introspective yeah i mean you think about a lot of those state of mind like i mean you think about a lot of those songs too it's like that type of music and this might be a generalization here but a lot of that type of music you know you're reflecting on your life like i mean i think you know ed sheeran like a castle on the hill yeah great song you know he's reflecting on you know his childhood and now getting to go back to his childhood like when i come back to minnesota like when i'm on the plane like i'll listen to that song because i'm like you know, I get to go back and I get to see all my friends again. Like, it's the story of his life told there. Um, you know, it, my favorite song ever, ever, number one song ever is Viva La Vida. Yeah. And that's, just, you know, a story about a guy who was in power in France, came up with a coup, took, took literally took the power. Right. And the same coup that brought him into power replaced him. And now he's wondering if, you know, his whole life, did he do right? And right. it's an unbelievable life story. And... You know, thought. You know, I think some of my best thoughts too, when I look back and you know, real, came to realizations about my life, I've listened to music like that, and I'm like, you know, that's true about me. Yeah. Um, I just do a lot of thinking with that type of music on. So yeah, the study playlist. And we might have to plug it some some way. <laughs> anyway, we, I was going to bring the study playlist into this podcast in some way, shape, or form, but I'll never forget. I asked you on uh, on our friend's balcony a couple weeks ago, kind of what the idea, like if you had to describe what the study playlist is all about, and, and you said something that is really great and something that I really kind of connect with, and it's that the study playlist is all about nostalgia for people in our generation, where you hear music like that, and it's exactly like you say, you connect it to childhood friends and childhood memories, you know, driving around, going to the ball with your with your mom during the holidays and stuff like that. And that's something where when I think about songs like Apologize by One Republic. Oh, one of the best songs in the playlist. One of the best songs in the playlist. I think to myself, driving around in, in the in the backseat of the car, going to pick up my sister, or going shopping or running errands with my mom, or getting picked up from Little League practice, you know, sitting in the drive-thru of In-N-Out Burger and just thinking about all the places. And that's something that uh, someone said to me a long time ago that I resonate with is that music is not about the songs, it's about where the songs take you. Because everyone is in a different place when they hear the song. That's, a good, that's a good quote. So Hotel California, for example, can put you, it can put you anywhere. You could be listening to Hotel California on a pier in California. You could be listening to it uh, driving through the backwoods of the southeast. And for everyone, they're going to listen to that song. It's going to take you to a different place. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's true. No, that is really true. Um, and that study playlist again for my fondest memories. Um, 
again, a lot of it, like you said, you know, it's been a One Republic, you know, Apologize playing, or um, what other songs are really good? Uh, Liana Lewis, Bleeding Love. Yeah. You know, listening to that would come on all the time as a kid in gym class. Yeah. You know, great song. It's Um, just, what it is, is it's a soundtrack to your life. Because you hear it in the shopping centers, you hear it in the grocery stores, and it's a, some of the music from the you know the early two thousands, which I think is so good. You got it. Yeah, yeah. Again, I was gonna say like some of the music um, from that uh, generation doesn't age as well, but I think most of it probably does age very well. Um, you know, I was thinking like an Akon, which is different from that, ages yeah. very well. Um, I mean, I guess there's some you know the Black Eyed Peas really. I wouldn't yeah. say is in that you know study. You know, there are some Black Eyed Peas songs in study. Right. Um, you know, Where is the Love? That's, that's in that's there. That's a great song. Um, but, you know, Meet Me Halfway, you know, probably a little too poppy for the study playlist, but yeah. in there, Just Can't Get Enough, probably a little too you know, yeah. poppy for it, but in there, um, or not, actually not in there, but it's, it, it maybe could get in there. It's a really good song. Um, yeah, th- that's going to age well. So, like, I love that era of music. I That's... That's probably the era that will define my music listening for the rest of my life. If you had to pick one artist out of the study playlist that you would go see in concert, who would it be? Adele. Adele. Okay. Adele. Uh, I, I, I no double take Adele. Adele. Like when so Adele is dropping her new album. It's supposed to be soon, and so one of my best friends, Adele, another Adele guy, uh, goes to Denver. Actually, you know this is a, a pretty sweet. Um, before uh, COVID, he had tickets to see Rascal Flatts wow. in um, at Red Rocks in California, or wow. not Red Rocks in um, Colorado, and like that. You want to say like dream concert? That yeah. would be oh my god! I'm yeah. a big hey, Rascal Red Flatts Rocks. guy, yeah. and it's like their last ever tour too. Right. Um, but yeah, no, we we've been planning for a little while, years now, to see Adele because that's you know she's a once in a generational talent. I I've ha- I have to see her live. If you could see anyone live from let's say from the birth of popular music in the 1950s up until now i know it's a really broad question but okay could be dead could could be dead or alive who would you see it's a good question um i so i i'd give you an answer more of based on experience okay like i'd want the experience of this rather than fandom because like the artists that I am biggest fans of, I, if I had to say, like, the artists that I like the most, you know, I like The Weeknd a lot. I've right. loved him since uh, Trilogy, um, 2010 now, which is crazy. That was, like, so long ago. Um, I loved Kanye. I love Kanye West and Adele. Yeah. Those are probably the three that I just think they don't miss. Like, they don't. Um, they're just, okay, maybe Kanye's missed a little bit recently, but... <laughs> Um, but you know, up to a while, Kanye was not missing, and yeah. that's the Kanye I really like to listen to. Um, but I'd go here for experience. I, I'd want to see Jimi Hendrix. Um, such a great guitar player. I think such a talent. Huge guy. He's like yeah. six, seven, six. He's like a ridiculously big. Huge hands. You know, he's the best guitar player ever. Um, to see him at like a concert or like a a, a back backroom club. Right. Wow, you know, performing all along the Watchtower. Yeah, yeah. Having a, having a drink, um, you know, that's I I am a I'm a huge like history. I'm a, I'm a I am a history guy. Like I like re- history when it relates to cool things. Like Jimi Hendrix is a cool guy. I'm I'm fascinated that by that. Sixties era. 
yeah. in the, the late 60s and the early 70s era that Hendrix was thriving in. That whole era is what is really cool about that Jimi Hendrix experience. Yeah, I'd go Jimi Hendrix. That would be my answer. For me, I would say has to be, if I was going to see, like, like you mentioned, the backroom clubs, I think I would change my mind. But if I had to be in a stadium, like if I had to go see someone at the Rose Bowl, it would be Queen. Wow. Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. Band-wise, the Queen up there. Band-wise, I think the Beatles also probably. Yeah. The Beatles. I'm a big Beatles guy. The Beatles would be. Beatles would be up there. Queen, that would be sweet. That would be sweet. I think about, you know, what what are the great live performances in history, and I go, uh, have you seen Bohemian Rhapsody? The movie? Yeah. I have not, actually. Fantastic. I've got to see it. I know you would love that film. I I know I would. They do an entire recreation to the T of Freddie Mercury and Queen's performance at Live Aid in 85, which was the sold-out concert at Wembley Stadium. And I just, I go back and I watch the videos of Wembley Stadium just packed. I mean, every seat is packed. The entire floor it is a massive humanity, which in today's world is just kind of crazy to look at. But I, I think about it and I go, what an event. You know, Paul McCartney was there. So many people came through at Live Aid that I don't think it really gets, it. just in my opinion, I don't think it gets the recognition that it deserves for in terms of all-time concerts. I know people talk about uh, Woodstock as kind of the creme de la creme, if you will of all-time yeah. concerts. Like, if you had to see... I know my question was if you had to see a band, but I don't know if I would... I've always kind of flipped back and forth in my mind. Would I enjoy the Live Aid experience of being in 1980s London, or would I enjoy the Woodstock experience of being in late 60s Both would New be York? such a different, different experience. Exactly. I mean, for me personally, um, yeah, like, the fact that at Wembley, you know, I'm a, uh, I'm a newer Tottenham Hotspur fan, right. so I associate... Um, uh, Wembley with the uh, the North London rivals Arsenal, um, but I've always wanted to go to Wembley. Um, they have some amazing events there, especially the you know, boxing. Is Anthony Joshua now fights there? It's eighty thousand, ninety thousand. Incredible. Um, the, it just looks. I mean, it's where I think I want to say I might be totally wrong here, but where the national team for England plays too. Like that is the venue of. Of that country, so I'd yeah. love to see a performance there. I want to ask about you talked about Anthony Joshua, and that's a good transition because I want to ask about is boxing your top sport? Would you say is that the sport that you? Because everyone kind of has their their niche sport. For me, I'd say it's probably NASCAR and golf are the two that I have NASCAR most and golf. I like that. Yeah, it's very exact. I mean, that's. One of the reasons I started a podcast like this is because how, how many people do you know really that are NASCAR and golf fans that would show up at a NASCAR race and then also tune in to golf and then listen to Hamilton to what, wrap up their what Sunday you, yeah, night? Yeah, that's that's oh, that's that's it's the trail mix yeah. kid here. Yeah, um, exactly. Um, God, that I like that the NASCAR and golf. Um, so boxing, what the story behind boxing? Um, yeah, what gets you into this? Boxing? Is this? Is, so I was always, I've always been a boxing fan. Like always been a boxing fan. Um, and this is also kind of a thing. So this is actually pretty interesting. Maybe not the most interesting, but it's. I think some people would listen if they're you know listening right now. They'll be like, "Wow, I didn't know that." Um, so when I was when I decided to do this for a career. 
I looked at jobs that I wanted to have. Like, you know, I'm a, I'm a sports radio guy. That's my thing. Sports radio is my thing. Like, right. I love to do that. That's what I want to do for the rest of my life. And I looked, you know, Jim Rome is a guy I really look up to. Um, Colin Coward, I know most people roll in their eyes. But, you know, I, like, well, I like he's a, he's a, an extremely, you know, you can hate him, but he's, he's, you I'm can't argue the talent. Yeah. It's unbelievable what he does. Ryan Russillo, really like. Um, and a lot of these guys, I mean, they started off in, you know, I think the name of this game now is like, you know, st- you start off some smaller market and you can build your way up. Mm-hmm. And that always kind of, you know, frightened me a little bit. Like, even from when I was deciding to get into this, that, that scared me. Like, I, I, I didn't want to be in Juneau, Alaska. Yeah. You know, I didn't want to do that. I just didn't. And um, I was reading about a lot of the guys that had jobs I wanted, and Max Kellerman came up and, you know, gets a job at ESPN out of college. And I think he was older. Like, he graduated. took him seven years to graduate. He um, starts out on Around the Horn. I think that was, you know, that, that, was, that was two years after, though, I think he originally got into ESPN for boxing. Like okay. he, he was signed to ESPN because, you know, boxing is an older sport, and they're always looking for younger people. Right. And, you know, I was reading about what he was doing, and it was like, okay, you're 24 years old. Why don't you, you know, spend the weekend at some resort in Maui? Right. Or, you know, in boxing now, it's, okay, they do the Casino de Monte Carlo fights or the Monte Carlo showdowns in Monaco. Or, you know, Paris or London, uh, Moscow, Tokyo, every, every, everywhere you can think that is a cool place, they have fights. Right. And, you know, I could do boxing and I could have that as a lifestyle for, a, you know, as a young guy. Right. And, again, you know, I, I, maybe I'm talking too soon because I, I still got to get a, a job. But I think, you know, we're trending in that direction where I think this really could happen yeah. in a few years. We co- you come back on the Trail Mix podcast if you have me. Yeah. And, you know, maybe it's you yeah, know, you're welcome on. You're welcome on any time. Okay, I appreciate that. Like, he's got a job and he's, you know, what is he doing? He's not, you know, going to Orlando and to Cincinnati every week. Yeah. He's going to, you know, he's in Milan, he's in Paris, he's in Tokyo. And it's kind of goes back, Carlo, it yeah. kind of goes back to that, you know, I listen to Michael Buffer. You know, Michael Buffer is like the yes. guy, it's like, let's get ready to rumble. Yep. Like, legend. And I remember I watched some interview with him. And he was like, I'm like, they were like, Mike, like, why do you like boxing so much? He's like, I love the sport. And I do. I love the sport. And I've loved the sport, you know, which every day I watch it because I do watch it literally every day. Um, but it, it gives me the excuse. I remember he's like, it gives me the excuse to live the James Bond lifestyle. Yeah. And I think back to the, you know, why I like James Bond so much. It's like, you know, you wear cool suits. Really, the boxing event now is like, you know, you go to some it's casino. It's very glamorous. It's very glamorous. You're wearing a nice suit. You throw some chips on the table at the pregame, you know, poker. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm stretching a little bit. But uh, afterwards, I imagine you throw some chips on the yeah. table. Um, and, you, you know, you wake up in some incredible city. Like, I love Las Vegas. I love that yeah. kind of feel to it. Um, and so Max Kellerman, yeah, at 24, got this job. And I'm like, you know, maybe that could be me. Maybe I'm not getting a job at ESPN out of college. But, you know, there's just not a lot of competition for this. It's it's. It's what, what I like so much about certain guys at, you know, that are doing this that can find niches. Like, yeah. like everyone wants to be Joe Buck or, right. or, you know, Al Michaels. But what about, like, you know, the different, you know, you had Andrew Curland on. And I don't know Andrew that well. Sure. But Andrew, you know, Curland, what's his big thing? He wants to be a NASCAR guy. Like, right. how many kids am I going to meet in this, even in a school, which is one of the best journalism schools in the whole country, that want to be a NASCAR guy? Right. There's not, I've never met one. Yeah. That wants to be like a sideline NASCAR reporter. Exactly. Like, there's something about finding a niche, and then when you capture the niche, like Max Kellerman did, you do get more jobs. 
Like he got, you know, got bigger sports radio jobs when he was, you know, a, the twenty six seven year old that was like one of the faces of the sport of boxing. Um, so I always loved that idea that was like I could start off and I wouldn't go to some bad city. I could start off going to cool locations and I could get cover the best fighters in the world. Like I mean, even interviewing you know fighters from my room at Zoom. You know, I talked to a guy a few weeks ago that was one of the top uh, uh, super middleweights in the world. Um, I talked last year to one of the best heavyweights in the world. I talked, you know, last year too to one of the best boxing prospects in the world. Yeah. Like what other sport? Like I think there are other sports too, but you get that like kind of access. But I get insane access, and I love the history of the sport. Yes. History of the sport, great. Um, especially in the United States, love that. And there's just so many cool things, like cool locations, cool sport, cool job. It just added up the more I thought about it. Where I'm like, right. if I'm doing this, you know, I can do the sports radio Monday through Friday. And that's what I'd love to do. But on the weekends, what do I want to do? I want to go to some casino. Yeah. And I want to go to some cool location. And that kind of gave me the excuse to maybe even you don't get to do that as a career. So that's what we're going for. I think what's been so fascinating about boxing is kind of the comeback into the, the national lexicon that boxing has made. Because when you think about where boxing was in the 70s, in, in the 60s, really throughout the entire 20th century up until... Tyson's exit from the sport. Yeah. You had that, that era with Floyd Mayweather. But I feel like Americans had become disenchanted with boxing. Well, the thing was, after Mike Tyson, you know, it's usually how... The, the cheat code for how well boxing's doing is, like, you look how, how well are the heavyweights doing. Yeah. So when Mike Tyson retires, uh, or you know, steps away from the sport, I guess Lennox Lewis kind of coming towards the end of his reign. And Lennox Lewis was this guy that was, like, you know, he's from... London moved to Canada, sure, but he lives in the United States. It's like, which country does he really belong to? <laughs> um, so he wasn't that popular. Then the Klitschko brothers from Ukraine mm-hmm. come along, Vladimir and Vitaly, and they were the two best guys. And it wasn't even close, and they would never fight each other because they were brothers. Yeah. So it's like, okay, the heavyweights aren't the best two heavyweights won't fight each other, right? Um, but now, yeah, the sport is 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 at a spot where it's like it's never been, and um, I mean, especially the talent that's coming out of the United States right now is scary. Um, and, you know, I always get this like, whole Harrison, like boxing, a dying sport, niche sport in the United States. No, I yeah, disagree. I, I, think, I think it's on the rise in the United States. And I, I think, you know, I, I think probably maybe a niche sport now is especially maybe for the outside of the major fighters. Like the, the major fighters, guys are going to watch, you know, Tyson Fury or Floyd Mayweather, Manny sure. Pacquiao, regardless. But, I mean, sports... You know, outside of the United States, I mean, boxing's huge. Manny Pacquiao is, you know, becoming the president of his country because of it. Yes. Um, London is a, a hotbed for fighting. Eastern Europe, uh, Russia is, it's never been bigger. So um, I think globally the sport's never been better. I think what's so fascinating about it is, like you mentioned, it, it kind of went away because I'm a casual fan. You know, I can give you the perspective yeah. of somebody that kind of watched boxing from the outside looking in. I think I, I think we're record as we're recording, we have a, a, a car um, alarm going off. I think it just went away. <laughs> now, the thing is, when you edit this, maybe we, we, you won't hear it. Yeah, this thing is we're we're going off a good mic, so I doubt you'll. We're going be, off a very good mic, and I'm completely okay with it. But I think now is a good time to inform our listeners that we are on a balcony. We are on a balcony so overlooking we're, we're um, a parking elements. lot. We're overlooking a, a parking structure in the Roosevelt Point pool. But what, what a 
What a great! I gotta say that you made the call to record this out of the balcony. Fantastic. I like coming out on the Fantastic balcony. I like kind of getting outside a little bit. Getting outside, having a conversation like this is this is exactly the type of place to have a conversation like this. But it's <laughs> yeah, that car alarm sounded to me like a forklift. Yeah, I was no. rolling through the the parking structure. But I will say. Um, kind of being just a very, very casual fan. Like, I, I know the Klitschko, and I know the names, like Lennox Lewis, and I know the names Pacquiao, and I've seen the highlights on SportsCenter, but I didn't... I'll tell you, the first fight I ever watched... This is a true story. First fight I ever watched was Tyson Fury versus Deontay Wilder. Oh, my God, really? That was the, the first The first fight. or the, sec- the, the second, second one? one? Okay, the, the second, second one. one oh, in my room. Watched, the all watched, we all watched in your room was the first boxing match how many guys how many guys do you think we had in there we had like at least 10 to 12 and there was such an energy about every aspect of, about the undercards about how excited everyone in the room was uh how excited people in the arena were and the intro i mean mahershal ali has become the oh, he's the boxing so narrating good. guy yeah. that just i feel like if you get mahershal ali to narrate something yeah. you know it's a big deal um and I just remember watching that fight. It really wasn't that competitive of a fight. No. Fury really kind of handled his business. Yeah, Fury's world class. Um, and he he really kind of handled Wilder the entire night. And in, did it live up to the hype? In my opinion, yes. Because the action, and I remember calling my dad and saying to him, that was unlike anything I've ever experienced. It really is, especially I mean that fight too. What what like it's it's become almost a spectacle, right? More so than the product of the fight. Like there's so many you know storylines surrounding it, but you know the ring entrances now are so theatrical, ridiculous, yeah, unbelievable. It, it's a show upon itself. Um, the trunks. I mean, I was watching the Gervonta Davis fight yesterday. The guy comes out in um, uh, a Mexican robe with a sombrero. He's fighting in Texas. <laughs> Guys from Baltimore, so no ties to the Mexican <laughs> community whatsoever. Floyd Mayweather did something similar too when he fought Oscar de la Ho- Oscar de la Hoya in 2008. But um, comes out in the ropes, you know, got diamonds on it, really yeah. cool. It wa- you know, who's walking him to the ring? It's Little Uzi Vert. Yeah, exactly. Literally, Little Uzi Vert's wrapping him out. Um, you know, it's in and two. It's in a pandemic, so Little Uzi Vert's got the mask. Of course, yeah. he just pulls it right off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and then, you know, especially, again, like a Gervonta Davis now or Deontay Wilder, I mean, like, now this board, you know, last night was a huge night for boxing, and LeBron James is tweeting about it. Right. Um, every media outlet in the world is tweeting about and it. And 10 years ago, LeBron's not tweeting about boxing. No, no, he's not. Um, and it's become, you know, the, these fights at MGM now, I... I they be kind of come the things, um, yeah. and I think the UFC too has this feel to it, where it's yeah. like the UFC. I think has you know a different kind of fans than boxing. I mean, the UFC fans. Tom Brady's a huge UFC guy. Yeah. Robert Downey Jr. is surprisingly a huge UFC guy. Yes. But boxing, you know, LeBron is a really big boxing guy, and he, you know, he was at Canelo, um, Triple G, Dave Chappelle's usually always at these big fights. Yeah. And Dave Chappelle, I mean, that's so cool because he's my favorite comedian. He's my favorite. Comedian it, it, it's well, a it's yeah. a spectacle. Like the cool people. You know, everyone's dressed up from the head to the toe in designer outfits. What it's like to me is it's like celebrity prom. It is kind of. I like that. I really do like that because, you know, you also have, you think about like prom, it's, you know, you got the dance. It's like you're literally at some, unless you really go to maybe New York or some of these big arenas in Texas, it's like you got the casino aspect too. Right. It, prom is just the most glamorous night for a teenager. 
I mean, that's what it's billed to be, and that's what you try to make it because you drop so much money on the night. But boxing has become such a spectacle where it's just like you said, the nice suits, you drop the chips on the table, champagne being poured, you know, the finest alcohol is served, and everyone who's anyone is there ringside at the fight. And you think, you know, maybe that maybe I wouldn't say a boxing movie. Or you, we've talked a lot about movies today. Have you ever seen Ocean's Eleven? I have seen Ocean's Great Eleven. Great movie. And that's, you know, that, I think in my opinion, you know, George Clooney, Brad Pitt, kind of a glamorous movie. They're going exactly. to the MGM. Or, was that MGM or Caesars? I forget which one that was at. Um, that was at one of the big casinos in Las Vegas. But regardless, you know, it's, it's um, you know, Klitschko's fighting. Sure. Um, you know, I think Lennox Lewis, I want to say, in Ocean's Eleven. But it's, you know, it's a really glamorous kind of movie. You know, they're stealing millions of dollars and boxing's like the centerfold of everything. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it has become a really glamorous sport. And I think, you know, as someone that wants to work in it, I'm really drawn to that. Yeah. Like, I really like, you know, showing up to events, you know, hopefully for a career where it can be like, you know, I'm head to toe, I'm wearing a tuxedo. And I am, you know, like Michael Buffer said, I'm kind of living that James Bond life. Right. I mean, <laughs> Michael Buffer really has the best job in the world. Oh, like, without a doubt. Really just doesn't, I don't know what he does besides, say, let's get ready to rumble, if he does other speaking events outside of that. He actually ended up at, uh, speaking of NASCAR, he ended up at uh, Bristol Motor Speedway, which is, I don't know if you've heard of Bristol, but. Yeah, I do know, I know, I know some NASCAR. The only thing I don't know about NASCAR that I, really, I don't really get is like, how the, the, the points work up and who oh. wins the cup. <laughs> you, we, I could describe a whole podcast based off of the, the way, basically the way the points work in NASCAR is they have thrown away the regular season. There's 36 races in a NASCAR season. The first 26 qualify you for the postseason. And then after each three races, four guys get eliminated. But there there's a lot of bonus points. And, and the way it's structured is, it's so confusing to a, a common fan, even a even yeah. A I've always, NASCAR I've always, I've, I'm kind of a casual guy. Like I'll watch this, you know, some of the bigger races, Daytona. Yeah, but the um, big race in NASCAR is the Bristol Night Race. Yeah, it's always because Bristol is this coliseum type atmosphere where there's seats that go all the way around the track. It's a really short track with high speeds and. It's exactly what American stock car racing is all about. American stock car racing is founded on the principle that you're supposed to use your car to get physical with the other guy. And it's that type of bumper to bumper. I remember it, the, the old NASCAR announcer for ESPN, Dr. Jerry Punch, would describe it every time they came to take the green flag, he'd describe it as full contact stock car racing. Oh, that's and pretty I just, cool. I just love that because that was the feeling. You get the, the flash bulbs going and they drop the green flag in the Bristol night race. And Michael Buffer, for about 10 years, would go to that race. And it was kind of the same thing where that was the only race outside of the Daytona 500 that you would get celebrities at. Like LeBron was at the Bristol Nightways. That's sweet. One year. And just, it's that kind of like southeastern, very American spectacle that NASCAR brings to Bristol. I, yeah, you know, it's funny enough, I'm actually trying to get more into car racing. I, you know, I think, I, I, was, I was debating, am I going to be a NASCAR guy, and am I going to be a Formula, a, a Formula One. One? I think I'm leaning Formula One. Well, yeah, exactly, because Formula One, I think, is very compatible with boxing, because Formula One is, is so glamorous. It's the fastest car makers, it's the Aston Martins, it's Renault, it's, well, I don't want to say Renault, because Renault's just a, a street car in France that also happens to make 
uh, racing engines, Ferraris there, Mercedes. I just there. find that to be so and cool. It's just it's glorious. I, but there's something about for me growing up in the United States that I love the uh, the aspect of using your car to kind of get physical with the other guy, you know, and, and it's full contact stock car racing. And I grew up uh, a big NASCAR fan. I kind of developed into IndyCar and developed into Formula One. But I just, auto racing is my top sport, just like boxing would probably be your top sport. But the great thing that I connect with boxing and NASCAR and why, you'll, you'll notice because we watched the Lopez-Lomachenko fight together. We did. And after every round, you remember that I asked you kind of what your take was. Because to me, it's the same thing as people that are casual NASCAR fans that ask me, well, how can you like a sport that's just guys going around in circles? And I could sit here and talk to you for three hours, literally just talk at you for three hours about how it's not. But again, to me as a casual person, when I watch a big boxing match or UFC fight, it just looks like guys punching each other because I'm an untrained eye. And so... I love hearing your take on it because the way you're watching this boxing match is completely different than the way I'm watching it. And if we were to watch, if we were to watch a NASCAR race, the way I would be watching it, it would is be completely different. And that that always kind of fascinates me. That is, you know, yeah, that is kind of a, a, an interesting thought. What, where, you know, how do you train the eye too? And that's something that I've really worked on too. It's like I have a book, the top 100 fighters of boxing, of all time. So you know, Joe Lewis is on there, Muhammad Ali. Sure. Um, Evander Holyfield, Tommy Hearns, I mean, I think they're... Foreman, they're, they're, like that. Yeah, 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 Foreman, I think, 31. But, uh, you know, I, I you know built a Quizlet off of those guys, and I watched, you know, a lot of their fights, you know, studied tactics, I studied their resume, mm -hmm. studied how, you know, they're brought up as kids. Mm -hmm. yeah, and this is not just, you know, Americans, this is worldwide. Like, I, know I was studying uh, uh, Pascal Perez, who's, you know, an Argentine flyweight from, like, the 1920s. Um, so it's all different types of guys, and... Uh, yeah, and I can see, you know, when I watch Lomachenko out there, I see, you know, resemblances of those guys. There's a history aspect of it. Yeah, that's, that's definitely something I've – I think it's coming, it's coming along studying the history and studying, I think, tactical things that has allowed me to, you know, enhance my viewer uh, experience, and now I have this trained eye. I, that is something you – know, I'm sure you do this like this too, though. Um, when, you, when you do have that trained eye and you're watching NASCAR in a sport you really know, you probably enjoy it more than a sport that you're kind of like, uh, this is... Well, exactly. And just like you mentioned that what I found so fascinating, what I connect between NASCAR and boxing, it's hard to believe that NASCAR and boxing have connections, but they do, is that where you are from and where you grow up dictates what type of racer you are. A lot of times people from... NASCAR is not... Is was a regional sport. It's not as much a regional sport anymore. The best NASCAR drivers come from all over the United States. Um, there's a few from foreign countries every now and again. But some grow up in kart racing, which is pavement, very little off-throttle time, basically foot to the floor. You just have to kind of run fast laps. Then there becomes the other side where some of the best NASCAR drivers ever, like Tony Stewart, Jeff Gordon, Jimmy Johnson, Dale Earnhardt, all come from, which is the dirt side. And they drive on dirt, and it's just so difficult because you're driving your car basically off-road. And it trains you to have such great car control. And the idea of racing is you don't want your car to handle well because if you, want, if you get your car to handle well, you're sacrificing speed. So every race is the best man who can handle the worst handling car 
typically wins the race. If you can drive a terribly handling car fast, you win the race. So that's a trained eye talking because that exactly. that is I just literally just learned something. And um, that's why, like, if you want to get more into racing, the person that I point to is Kyle Larson. Uh, he, like, he's been in the news obviously for uh, the comments that he made on iRacing. Um, but he'll he'll be back. He did a lot of uh, he did a lot of obviously racial sensitivity training over the past ten months. He'll be back in the Cup Series next year, driving for Rick Hendrick, which is like the Yankees of NASCAR, and he's the most talented racer I've ever seen because he dominates the dirt circuit. He went on a a twenty two race win streak, just racing around the country where Kyle Larson, it's awesome because Kyle Larson will show up to your track in Minnesota and just kick everyone's ass and then leave. So he's kind of like the Lewis Hamilton of the, yes. the NASCAR scene. Okay. He's, he's incredibly talented. And, and it's the same thing because in Formula One, you had guys like Ayrton Senna that grew up in Brazil. And Brazil's type of racing is completely different than the European style of racing because the European style of racing is so glamorous. It's all about speed. Senna was much more about handling his car. I mean, you'd watch Senna go through the corners, he'd be fishtailing, you know, the car would that, be Yeah, that's something I've always loved about sport, and like, especially, you know, growing up playing hockey or watching boxing, or, you know, even you know, now I know this about the car racing, is every country and continent really has their own flair on it. Exactly. I love, I lo- and being a sports fan, not just a, a boxing fan or a NASCAR fan, like, being a sports fan, I've always been fascinated by the different styles that countries can bring to the, their sport. Right. The one thing that I love about the worldwide sports, and I think where sports like ice hockey really come into play, is that you see like the Europeans play different than the Russians play different than the Americans play different than the Canadians. Oh, yeah. And the styles of play. And that's why I wish that they would still allow the professional hockey players to play in the Olympics. Oh, my God. That, that is... Like, I love... Boxing in the Olympics, I love basketball. Like, the Olympic hockey, I love. Like, that is my favorite Olympic sport, and it's not even close. I mean, I still remember that uh, Vancouver gold medal game. Sidney Crosby scores the golden goal. Broke my heart. But then you come back in Sochi. One of my favorite moments as a sports fan ever was beating the Russians on their home soil. TJ Oshie, seven goals in the shootout. Incredible moment. Uh, yeah, oh my god, that was so sweet. Um, it was like, yeah, TJ Oshie was like a billion joules. Um, yeah, no, TJ, especially TJ Oshie, yeah, too, a Minnesota guy. Um, from War Road, Minnesota, Hockey Town, USA. It's like a hotbed for NHL talent, tiny town. But yeah, seeing that, I remember, was so cool. I love, love the Olympics and, uh, especially hockey. One of the things I want to get into with you is that you, you mentioned Colin Coward, uh, Max Kellerman, Ryan, Russo, people like that. Where would be the place you could end up where you look back and you go, this is, I, I've made it. Like, I've set the goals and I've accomplished them. What so, would like, be, my dream job. Yes. Like, so is this just, like, my, so I think as I have different dreams in, like, different aspects of my life. Like, exactly. So, completely career-based because you're waking up. The stories about you that a lot of people don't know are legendary. That you would wake up last year at 4 a.m. to go into the Blaze Radio studio to record stuff for your own show to give takes and just post these two-minute videos out into the Twitter world. Yeah. 
And I think that people kind of know the work ethic that you have, but they don't really know the time and the effort. You've set up your own home studio here. You have your own backdrop. We're recording this podcast. Thank you for letting me use your microphone, by the way. Yeah, it's an incredible microphone. She she does the job. (laughs) And so, you know, you've committed so much time to this, and that's obviously something that I paid attention to because, you know, it's all about the competition of being in Cronkite and trying to measure yourself and not only connect with, be friends with, but trying to, you know, that one-upsmanship of trying to work on your own craft uh, alongside your peers is something that I just love. Yeah. And I, so your work ethic is the is the one thing that I pay attention to. But you're working so hard, but you got to work towards an end goal. So that's no, where my that. question ends. Um, geez, that's an interesting question because I can, I can give you a whole bunch of answers. Like I can give you what I want to be doing, you know, when I graduate college sure. is different than what I want to do when I'm 40 and then reverse when I'm 60. Okay. Um, so I think, I guess I can give you short answers of all, you know, kind of different uh, okay. aspects of my life. So when I'm a younger guy, I think I'd like to do the sports radio and then do the boxing on the weekends. And, you know, I know that it's foolish to assume that I'm probably going to be, you know, Max Kellerman, HBO boxing right out of college. That's probably not going to happen. Like, I know that. Um, and I know I'm not going to be, you know, given a syndicated TV radio show out of college, but, um, if I could, you know, do a radio show in a good market um, and do some boxing on the weekends, whether that be, you know, some type of role, I'd be really happy with that. Just doing it would be fabulous. But eventually, you know, I would like to do boxing for an, a, in a national level and sports radio for a national level. Like, I mean, Fox Sports has been one. Fox Sports Radio has been one that I've always really liked. Um, ESPN Radio is something I've always really liked. Um, do having a role like that where, you know, I've got the clop show Monday through Friday right. and I'm, you know, flying out to cool places on the weekends doing that. Um, and then eventually, you know, part of me has always been like, this is kind of a ridiculous dream, but I've always wanted to maybe at the later stages of my life, maybe work remotely. Like I like, I'd like to like maybe, um, sign for sign for sky sports. Okay. Maybe not ESPN or Fox. I mean, this is crazy even saying, like, you know, these are in the mix here. But if that were to happen, if I had the option to work for Sky Sports and I could, you know, think about, it, you know, Europe, you know, you live in, you know, Sky Sports is in London. But you, it wouldn't be crazy to say you could live in Barcelona where yeah. it's a two-hour plane ride to London. Um, and that's the beauty of Europe. Yeah, maybe have a villa in Barcelona, have a horse, and then just kind of hang out in Barcelona. Maybe get season tickets to FC Barcelona. Right. Um yeah, great, great food. I'd go sailing all the time. Right. Um, travel, and I'd fly out and really just, you know, fly in to London on the weekends and do fights. I'd, that's the dream. That's what, if I had to say I'm working towards something, the villa in Barcelona with um, a Sky Sports gig and I'm going to Wembley on the weekends, that would be this, the, I, I couldn't get any better than that. Yeah. I couldn't get any better than You that. really could not top that. That sounds like the absolute dream, not only for a sports broadcaster, but just to look back and say that was a life well lived. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're telling me. <laughs> for sure, that's, that's, that's what we want. I end every podcast by asking my guests three things I'd like to know about them. Okay. Three random questions, uh, very much just kind of 
uh, coming from different uh, genres of questions uh, about stuff that I've always been interested to know or hypothetical. Okay. So you ready to go? Yeah, let's let's go. Three things I would like to know about Harrison Cloth. The first question: One sporting event in history that you have not personally attended, you would like to attend in person. Um. So, like, it's not like a historical sporting event that I wish I could go back to, or... Not one that you've attended personally. Okay. Um, one going forward that I'd love to go to. Um, I've always loved... This is... I've always wanted to do, you know, spend uh, a month at the World Cup and just go to all the games. You know, you think about this... Um, the World Cup in Brazil, you know, from going to uh, Rio to... Um, you know, all over Brazil, like that would right. be unbelievable and seeing the best soccer really. And I, you know, the crazy thing is 2026, you know, you got that Mexico, U.S., Canada, the North American World Cup. I mean, yeah. could you imagine it's Mexico, USA and Los Angeles, like going there one week and then, you know, you're going to Argentina, Germany in Mexico City, like to fly around and have the time to do that. That would be the one I'd probably pick. What is one that has already happened that you look back in in history and say, I would have loved to attended that game, okay. that fight, that match, that okay. golf tournament. Um, hmm. The Rumble in the Jungle, 1974. Okay. Zaire, Muhammad Ali, George Foreman. Without a doubt. What is it about that one that stands out to you? Um, well, at that point, Muhammad Ali was older. George Foreman was... So let me think. He was thirty-seven and zero when he went into the fight, the fight with Joe Frazier, and I think that um, that had to be seventy-three. So he, yeah, he was like around forty now. George Foreman was this forty zero guy who's knocked out everybody, and everyone was like, okay, he's going to beat Ali, and Ali goes into that fight really ignoring every piece of training he had received, and just goes to the ropes. Really, just stays on the ropes. And just lets George Foreman, the hardest puncher at boxing at that time, maybe the hardest boxing, uh, one of the hardest uh, hitters in boxing ever, which is crazy ever. There's been some insane ones. Deontay Wilder now is insane. George Foreman's in there. Um, and George Foreman just slugs on him for a billion, you know, you know, eight rounds, really. And then at the last minute of round eight, Muhammad Ali wears Foreman out and takes a shot and drops Foreman. Um, it's a virtuoso performance. He had the whole thing planned. Never told his trainer. You're in a foreign country. Zaire, I think, spent their whole entire you know GDP <laughs> on getting the fight in Zaire. Like, I mean, nuts. I, I, I want I, if I give one piece of advice to listeners. Um, there's there's the best sports document I've ever seen. When we were kings, about that fight. It is, you know, you think 30 for 30s are great. This is better. When We Were Kings, about that fight, um, just shows, you know, because George Foreman originally in that fight gets hurt when they're training, and so they have to spend, like, another month in Zaire. And wow. so then they bring in all these cool entertainers. So, like, James Brown's giving concerts to the people in Zaire, Muhammad Ali's dancing, and all the, all the like, the whole time, you've got this fight. You know it's on the horizon, because you're there an extra month because George Foreman gets hurt. Right. Um, it's like... If I had to compare something to it, like I love the Hunger Games, but the thing I really like about the Hunger Games is when they get to the capital and you're, yeah. you're, you're like, you know, all these festivities, but you know there's about to be a war. Yeah. Eventually. 
Like, there's all these cool activities, you know, dancing, incredible, you know, trips around Africa that these guys are taking. But it's all culminating to this one. But, event. you know, you can't look too far ahead because you've got a war. Like, you've got the biggest fight of your life. And, to, again, you know, I, I said, like, I'd like to spend a, a month in the, with the World Cup. But if I could spend a month in Zaire with Muhammad Ali and George Foreman, that's, that's up there. Like, that's probably, yeah, that's one. That's one for sure. That is awesome. First, yeah. I, I got it. Like just to tie that up, that is awesome. I w- I was hoping when I asked this, when I wrote this question down, I was hoping I would get a classic boxing fight. I could listen to backstories on classic fights from you anytime. I any appreciate day of the that. Week number two, best vacation you've ever been on. What was it? Best vacation I've ever been on. Um, oh, geez, this is really tough. Um, we went to Ireland on a trip um, throughout Ireland. Um, so we, you know, we went, went to the Cliffs of Mar, we went to Killarney, um, went to Dublin. And seeing that, like I've never been to Europe except Ireland. That was a huge culture shock. Like I've been to Alaska, I've been to Hawaii. Right. Unbelievable. But I remember the first, one of the first days we went to Ireland, we, went, we did a tour of the Guinness shop. Um, and my dad, big Guinness guy. <laughs> we, um, and, and at the top of the, the, the building, they have a glass rooftop bar Okay. Of one of the biggest breweries in the world that overlooks the whole city of Dublin. Wow. And, you know, I, I wasn't allowed to drink Guinness. I think I got like a sip. I was like nine years old. But, I, you know, at a Coca-Cola, I overlooked the whole city of Dublin. I'm like, this is the craziest thing I've ever been on. I'll yeah. never forget it. That is awesome. It is certainly, if I ever get the chance to travel through Europe, which I'd like to at some points, right there at the very top of my bucket list, Dublin, Ireland, that entire Irish coast, Scottish coast. Yeah. Places I would love to be. It's really cool. Last question for you. You're at dinner. Could be anywhere in the world. Could be any type of restaurant. You're sitting across from your ideal dinner guest. Who is it? Do they have to be alive? Could be alive or deceased. This is going to make me sound like um, a crazy person. Okay. Because there's so many good ones. I think most people would be like LeBron James. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll go Alexander the Great. I've always been fascinated wow. by that okay. guy. Um, you know, young, he's like a teenager, I think, when he tries to take over Europe, and he basically does. Um, right. You know, a few things go wrong, but just so ambitious. And it was like Alexander the Great. He was like Macedonia, I think it was. Uh-huh. And it was like you know Macedonia. You know, at that, at that time, you know, they weren't the Macedonia of today. <laughs> But they were like, you know, they were a big player, but he still, you know, beat the odds and was an expert at what he did. And I just like to know, like, what his mindset of, if, like, for trying to take over the world. I like, I've always, I remember learning about that in history. I was like, this guy, I'd love to ask him some questions. Like, I, I think that that is an interesting dinner guest because, as you mentioned, he's so ambitious uh, that he was able to pull off something that I don't think everybody wants to rule the world. There's that Tears for Fears song. Great. I listened to that today, actually, too. I've been listening to a lot of music. One of my all-time favorites. Like, if, if I had to put on a song driving home, like a late-night drive to answer your question, if I had to put on a song, Everybody Wants to Rule the World, Tears for Fears, has got to be up there in my top five. Yeah, that's a great song. But I love that pick of a dinner guest because there there is that line. I don't even know where it's from, but it's just kind of buried somewhere in my mind from just my life and it's that line that says you know for Alexander looked out on the uh, 
on his conquests and, and he wept for there were no worlds left to conquer. And, and I think that that is so, that's so deep and that's one of those great quotes. It's the, uh, it's the same thing like that Dickens quote from the uh, Tale of Two Cities where it was like, it's the best of times, it's the worst of times. And it's just something about that, uh, that style of ambitiousness has, where you has, say, I could take over the world that fascinates Has me. that question been asked to other Tromics? Um, it yes. is not. You're the first to first, answer that first question. First to answer that question, okay. Do you think, I will ask you this, do you think I should make different questions for each guest or should I keep the same three questions? I think it depends on who you're asking the questions to. Because, because I think if there's some people that I would be really curious to hear their answer to, like especially that question. Right. Um, I think there's some people who give really interesting uh, answers. This podcast is still very fluid. So by the next time I'll have you on, the formula is going to remain the same, very conversational-based, but definitely establishing some sort of continuity would be good and that's what I'm trying to do with these three things I'd like to know. Harrison Klopp, thank you, by the way, for coming on the podcast. A lot of fun. We I think we touched about every single aspect of what I like. So you're a very good interviewer. <laughs> I appreciate it, brother. Well thank you for coming on. And uh man, good luck with everything that you're doing, my friend, because Everything that you're doing is, uh, as your friend, is is impressive to watch. I likewise, my 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 uh, my guy. <laughs> really, this was a ton of fun.